You are listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. Our Public Policy and Regulation Group is a strong bipartisan team with deep ties throughout Washington, D.C. We have built a thriving government affairs practice through our depth of experience and diversity and by maintaining our bipartisan approach. Our State Attorneys General podcast series is hosted by former Deputy Attorney General of Virginia and Presidential Appointee at the U.S. Department of Commerce, Stephen Cobb. Through conversations with State Attorneys General, this series will dive into the importance and growing role of State Attorneys General while hearing firsthand on what they are working to accomplish in their communities. Welcome to another installment of Holland and Knight's Eyes on Washington podcast, State Attorney's General Edition. My name is Stephen Cobb. I'm a partner in Holland and Knight's Washington, D.C. office, former Deputy Attorney General of Virginia and co-chair of Holland and Knight's State Attorney's General practice. Uh, with me today is my fellow co-chair and law partner, uh, Jim Schultz out of Philly. Jim, great to be here on the podcast with you. Great to be on with you again, too, Stephen. There's some exciting things going on around the country politically right now. Absolutely. So one of the things, you know, we've done uh, so many of these podcasts talking with state AGs and senior leadership in state AG offices, focusing in on the substance of those offices. But as you know, and as our listeners may know, you know, for the most part, state attorneys general are themselves elected statewide officials. And so I want to say the number is 46 out of the 51, including D.C., are popularly elected. And so, like so much going on right now, it is election season, and many of them are going to be in tight contests. So I thought today that we kind of talk a little bit about what the political environment looks like nationally, what it looks like in some states uh, specifically, and then talk about how that might impact some of the priorities and politics of state attorneys general. So with that, you know, Jim, what, what are your kind of thoughts? Well, let's, let's start macro. In your mind, where do things look as far as the 2022 cycle and how do you think that's going to affect state AGs? Look, I think you're going to see I, all things kind of remain the way they are now. You're going to see a pretty much a, a red wave sweeping across the country, largely because, especially in some of these swing states, Biden's numbers are in the tank. We're seeing that in Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And you're seeing, you know, I think we're going to see huge gains in Congress. You're going to see some very competitive Senate races in places where I think that, you know, wouldn't normally be competitive. And at the state level, you're going to see some very competitive gubernatorial races in places where Republicans haven't normally been competitive. But I think, you know, very telling is the AG races. And I think there's going to be some you know, in some of these swing states, some very competitive races and in places where Democrats traditionally had strongholds. You know, it's interesting you say that. One of the things that, that I've noticed that I, that I keep telling folks over the last few years is that state AGs are themselves becoming such a force within their own states that you can't always predict the state AG race by the national trends. And by that, I mean, if you looked at the 16 cycle and the 2020 cycle, you often saw state AGs overpowering the top of the ticket with their vote share. So with Democrats in particular in those cycles, you're looking at, you know, the Joshes, Shapiro and Stein in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, respectively, running ahead of the presidentials in their states. 
I, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Jim, on kind of how you see that. And then, of course, the same is true with, with many Republican AGs. And I'd be interested in getting your thoughts. For, from my perspective, there is part of this that is the you know, old Tip O'Neill, all politics is local, and that state AGs more so than their counterparts in the U.S. Senate or in presidential politics have a stronger connection to local communities across the state, which allows them to cut through sometimes by a fraction of a point, sometimes by several points, some national trends. What are your thoughts? I think some of it is also attributed to the fact that you have where you have Democratic elected attorneys general in states like Pennsylvania, right, where we didn't have up until Josh Shapiro, we had one other elected Democratic attorney general in Kathleen Kane. But up until Kathleen Kane, we hadn't had a Democratic elected attorney general. They were all Republicans. So what I think you see in a state like ours, where you have cross pressure issues, specifically law enforcement issues, where Democrats can, you know, move more towards the center and center right on on law enforcement issues. It has an ability for them to have real impact in swing states. And I think that's what we've seen out of Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania. He's taken on. Uh, violent crime issues very aggressively. He's taken on gun crime issues very aggressively in this state. And I think that's why that's largely the, the reason why he's been able to be so successful in a state like Pennsylvania is because he's been able to take these traditionally Republican law enforcement issues and turn them into a positive for himself by just doing the job. 100%. And one of the other things that I think is, is interesting is that there is a large part of the state AG portfolio as listeners know, who've listened to our podcast previously, that focus on kind of apolitical issues like consumer protection, like competition issues, like data privacy issues. And you start to see those cut across traditional political lanes such that incumbents in particular tend to be able to campaign on accomplishments in consumer protection and antitrust and in data privacy. And their campaigns become a referendum on how effectively they've been able to improve the lives of day-to-day constituents. No, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you know, especially, you know, protection of children, protection of minors. There's a lot of great issues, you know, not just the commercial issues, but the ones that really impact people's daily lives in the consumer protection space, like you said, that really allow AGs to 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 gain real name ID and then become successful down the road. And there's always kind of the insider's joke that attorney general also stands for aspiring governor as well. (laughs) So true. So true. So let's get into the map. You know, there are, I think about half the states are up this cycle, but even though half are up, a much smaller number are have risk of flipping and an even smaller number of other issues of uh, losing incumbency. So let, let's kind of break these down first. Why don't we go through um, some of the states that uh, I know from the Democratic side, I don't think are at risk of losing a Democratic incumbent. You have a bunch of those in the Northeast. You have New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, although the uh, incumbent is running for governor, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maryland, New Mexico, California. While all of these states are all, you know on the ballot, this November. Uh, I don't think that those are inherently in concern of competitive races. You know, obviously that can always change. Uh, what about the Republican side? There, there, there's, well, there's a bunch up. Which ones do you, do you see not being competitive and are safe? safe in I, I think the, the lion's share of the traditional Republican states are going to just, 
you know, the red states are going to continue to be red, right, especially in this environment. So without going through the list, I do think that most of the incumbent Republican seats are in good shape. I know there has been some question about Texas, but I do think that that Texas is going to solidly remain in, in the red as it relates to the attorney's general race. Interesting state, right, to talk about, though, on, a, on, a, on the swing side of it. I think for a pickup for the Republicans is Iowa. So Iowa, we have a sitting attorney general, Tom Miller, Democratic elected attorney general. How many years has he been off? I think it's 11 terms now, right? Yeah, I want to say it's like 42 years or something. Yeah, overall. General Miller is the longest serving state attorney general in the history of the United States. But I I think we've seen a trend now in politics that incumbency isn't always a good thing, right? And I think you become part of the problem if you're in there for a long time. We're also seeing kind of the red wave making its way across the country and, you know, with Biden's numbers in the tank. So in in a place like Iowa, we have uh, the Democrat, the Republicans have uh, Guthrie County Attorney Brenna Byrd, who's an old friend of mine from uh, the days when she was general counsel to the governor of Iowa and when I was general counsel to the governor of Pennsylvania. And she's run for the office before. She didn't win the last time. She's running unopposed in the primary. And and she is the leading candidate, you know, is a, is a leading, you know, targeted race for the Republicans this year to sink money into it to pick up that seat. Well, not surprisingly, I'm going to push back and disagree with you slightly there uh, in, in Iowa. I think Tom Miller has been elected over four decades because I think he really represents the needs of Iowans in that office. And I think when you look at some of the demographics of folks and where it splits on partisan lines, I think you've seen decade in, decade out, Tom Miller being able to draw from uh, across the aisle. And when you have somebody going into a race against somebody that they've already beat before, I mean, you know this from a kind of campaign perspective, you already have those voter IDs, you know where your voters are and, and when to touch. So I'm going to be incredibly surprised. I know it's going to be a hard fought race, but I'm going to be surprised if Tom Miller, it doesn't. Yes. Yeah, Stephen, you're comfortable. You're, you're real comfortable being in the wrong, right? Cause <laughs> you know, we, we, we talked about, we talked about this last, about a year ago when we were talking about the state of Virginia and, you know, how that was going to, that was going to continue its trend to be in blue. And we saw what happened there. So I think in a state where Trump's won by nine points in, in 2020, I do believe it's, you know, it's ripe for a pickup for Republicans. Oh, I, I didn't say it wouldn't, it wouldn't take work, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to the point in Virginia, Mark Herring uh, my, my former boss still punched ahead of uh, the top of the ticket, which, which just shows, to, you know, further underlines that connections that I think state AGs have, perhaps as a statewide, perhaps greater so than anyone, be that a governor or a state senator moving forward. Another place where you have uh, a potential pickup for Republicans is Nevada, where you have Attorney General Aaron Ford. You know, the Republicans feel pretty good about this race. There are a number of there. I think there are two people in the primary thus far. I think the person who I've seen the most of and is a former classmate of mine from law school is Sagal Chatash. She's been she's been working very hard. She's uh, Israeli born, came to the United States as you know, from Israel and created a law career there that included taking on some pretty controversial issues when she was there. For instance, the closure of the state capitol, the closure of the synagogues and the churches. Uh, she filed lawsuits there to open those up and got wins on them. So I think that's something that may resonate with Nevada voters. 
It's interesting. Nevada is one of those states. I, I can't say enough good things about uh, Aaron Ford. It, he's, I believe he holds five degrees, including a PhD in, uh, in education, if I'm not mistaken. Just, just wonderful, wonderful uh, leader out there. But I'm also, you know, with his uh, high favorabilities and that of also, I believe, uh, Senator Cortez Masto, who's also up, I'm wondering if some of these states where you have U.S. Senator up as well as the AG, how much of those uh, Senate races will need to have legs? I, I think you're right on that. I wanted to get your thoughts um, because it's timely. And, you know, you alluded to it. I don't Texas is, is still going to be a hard place for Democrats to pick up statewide. But there is a runoff primary between uh, the incumbent Ken Paxton and uh, George P. Bush, uh, who is, I believe, the state agriculture commissioner, I want to say, um, and headed, headed to a runoff. Any prognostication that you think that you want to give on Look, the I outcome of, of that primary? I think with a lot of the issues that Ken Paxton has faced in terms of legal issues and the like, losing staff, I mean, all of that stuff factors into that runoff nomination. And I think, you know, it'll be an interesting race to watch. Obviously, George P. Bush is an incredibly popular Republican there and has had a very successful political career. Certainly, name ID isn't a problem for him. So I think he could give Ken Paxton a hard time. It's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out. You know, I know that uh, General Paxton has long had a strong support um, in the conservative wing of the Republican Party, particularly there in Texas. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that kind of plays out. Yeah, he certainly has a base that's that's going to stick with him. The question is whether you know his his problems that he's had in the past couple of years, and whether the name ID and popularity of, of George P. Bush will rule the day. Let's talk about another state that I know, um, you know, apropos of our conversation about Nevada, Nevada, pardon me, uh, I don't need to make the folks there uh, correct me on my pronunciation. You got to say it the right way, Stephen. Right. Or yeah, I got it. I, I corrected myself. Nevada, Nevada. Yeah, right. uh, exactly. But when we talked about, you know, a state that's going to be impacted by the other statewide candidates in the ticket, let's flip the script and look at Georgia. You know, here you have uh, an incumbent Democratic senator, uh, Raphael Warnock. You have an incumbent Republican governor who's getting primary to his right. And of course, you're going to have that, you know, down ballot AG race. How do you see that all playing out? So I, I think what we're going to see there is, you know, a tremendous turnout in Georgia, right? You have the, you have the Senate seat, you have the gubernatorial seat and, you know, Chris Carr down pallet um, has done a great job as attorney general has, you know, he, he he's done a great job there in Georgia. The question is, does he get caught in the crossfire there? I think he does. He's done well enough and has, you know, kind of raised the profile of himself and that office in a very good way as attorney general. I think he ends up uh, winning, winning that race ultimately. But I think if there's any race in the country that you're seeing the Democrats sink some money into, especially with a, the state senator, uh, Jen Jordan, Jen Jordan right. getting in there. I think that's 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 something that uh, that Carr has to be worried about. But I do believe, you know, Georgia is starting to trend back red again. We have a wave year and I think Carr is going to be just fine. That's interesting. This is this is one of the races that I look at and can see, as you know, I alluded to with North Carolina and Pennsylvania and then Virginia, where actually I could see uh, Chris Carr getting a higher vote share than either of the Republicans for governor or Senate. Yeah, I but, think you're right. I think you're right about that. But you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, it looks like obviously Senator Warnock is back up. 
Stacey Abrams running for governor. Uh, it's possible. And, we, you know, they got a strong, hardworking candidate in uh, Senator Jordan running for AG. It's possible that Senator Warnock and, and uh, Stacey Abrams have coattails. And so to, to your point, I think a lot of money is going to get spent here. I think it is going to be a phenomenally put together ground game. I think that field, I think there's going to be a lot of door knocking in that state, a lot of phone calls in that state, a lot of text messages in that state. And it's going to think that's going to be a bellwether for some of these purple states going forward. Yeah, Stacey Abrams has certainly built quite a grassroots operation there in Georgia. And I, I think that cannot be underestimated going into this race. And it's going to be turnout, turnout, turnout. And I, I think Georgia is going to have a big turnout this year for a midterm election. Now, we have two states that I think that are worth mentioning and keeping an eye on, not for the potential to flip, but just because there are two states that have taken nationwide leadership on some multi-states and clearly in some policy pushing forward, and that's Massachusetts and Maryland. Uh, I don't see either of these states flipping to Republican control, but I think there are these are going to be two hard-fought primaries, and it will be interesting to see who's going to pick up the mantle of Mark Healy and Brian Frosch moving forward. I think it's, you know, in Massachusetts, uh, especially you have Quentin Palfrey. Quentin was the Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor in 2018. So has himself name recognition. And then you also have a city council person from Boston who ran for mayor, Andrea Campbell, I believe is, is her name. And so I believe that that's also going to be a hard fought race. And then um, in Maryland, Anthony Brown is running, um, as well as uh, a, a Baltimore judge. And so that's going to be another, you know, really, really Katie Curran O'Malley. And so it's going to be another hard fought race, you know, kind of a PG County versus Baltimore City, Baltimore County based race. And all four, Massachusetts and Maryland, respectively, are very qualified individuals who I think are ready to step into the leadership vacuum of their predecessors. The other state that could be a swing year for the Republicans is Wisconsin. And I, I think that's largely because we have a, you know, again, a year where states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin are going to be front and center in terms of swing states. I think you're going to, you know, the turnout model and the and the generic ballot being in favor of Republicans could be another another win for the Republicans and, a, and an upset there. Yeah, you know, looking at that that whole region, uh, Josh Call, Wisconsin, Dana Nessel in Michigan, uh, Keith Ellison in Minnesota, and as we talked about earlier, Iowa. You know that that whole Midwest is becoming more and more of a battleground. I think, without exception, each one of those uh, AGs in their in their first term, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, have all worked extremely hard. And right right now. You know, most polls are showing them with kind of a five to six point lead and with net and significant favorability, which obviously bodes well. But I don't think you can look at any race, any statewide race in any of Michigan, Wisconsin or Minnesota at this point and not see them as going to be hard fought races within a couple points one way or another. Yeah. Another place where just just kind of wrap it up on our side of it. You are going to see a switch in Arkansas, but just switch from one Republican to another. Leslie Rutledge is running for Lieutenant Governor and uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin uh, is the favorite to be the Republican nominee there as like, and will likely win that one in a walk. They're switching, they're switching roles. That's right. That's oh, right. And Sarah only in Arkansas. Be, uh, Sanders, <laughs> Sanders will be the governor there. So, uh, but I, but I do, uh, you know, that's one worth noting that you're going to have a switch. It's just not 
from Republican yeah. to Democrat. It will be Republican to another Republican. What are, your, what are your thoughts on Arizona? I think Arizona, I, I, I think that remains red. I think, you know, the, the Arizona is trending more back to where it was, you know, prior to 2020. I think, you know, while, you know, 2020 didn't didn't go the way of the Republicans, I, I do think it's trending back that way in internal polling shows that the political environment there is pretty good and it's improved for Republicans and that the Republican nominee there should have have somewhat of an advantage going into the race. But, you know, uh, open seat. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. You know, I think Arizona, similar to Georgia, but in a, in a very different way, it's going to be a unique indicator because I think at the top of the ticket, I think Mark Kelly is looking very strong in his reelection to the Senate. And so the question is going to be, you know, do split ticket voters still exist? You know, I think the conventional wisdom is that is less and less. But again, all politics is local. And so it'll be interesting to see with an open AG seat how that plays out and whether folks are running to be people's lawyer, whether they're running to be top cop, whether they're running to be the you know consumer protections are, and to see how those subject matter issues play out at the ballot box or whether or not this is just a straight ticket state. No, that's right. Well, I think that pretty much covers it, Stephen. You know, any any parting thoughts on this going forward, other, other than the fact that you're going to get lumped up again on your side of the aisle this year? <laughs> I, I got faith in our incumbents. I, I think they're, they're, do, they're doing a great job. I look forward to, to seeing them out on the campaign trail. Um, it's going to be interesting, and I encourage everybody to, to keep, keep, keep a close eye because state attorneys generals play such a vital role uh, in the day-to-day in communities, public safety, and in corporate regulatory efforts. So it continues to be a vitally important position. And so I hope folks who aren't involved or aren't paying attention uh, to these races do so. And I just encourage everyone to listen in again as we uh, as we continue to t- interview attorneys general from around the country and touching on issues that both folks in their states care about, but business, the business community and business climate in general cares about. So thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. This has been another installment of Holland Knight's Eyes on Washington podcast, State Attorney's General Edition. We look forward to having you next time. Thank you for listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.